You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Good morning. Uh, so one of the things that I meant, I believe it was, no, it wasn't yesterday, it was the first day of Shemini Atzeret when we read the, uh, uh, the Haftorah from uh, um, the first Book of Kings that describes uh, the uh, dedication ceremony or the end of the dedication ceremony of Solomon's Temple. Um, and it, uh, it, it, it states that um, on the eighth day of that uh, uh, seven-day-long festival, or actually, as Rabbi uh, Charles Stein pointed out to me, it was probably a 14-day-long festival, and there's all sorts of uh, uh, debates and discussions in rabbinic literature about how long the festival was and what <coughs> dates it took over, because if seven of those days are uh, Sukkot, uh, then, uh, then to say it's a 14-day festival and the 14 days started earlier, it means that they were celebrating and having a festive uh, occasion over Yom Kippur. And so in the Talmud, they have this discussion, well, how could they have a, be, be having this feast on Yom Kippur? But it turns out that, that they were. So um, that's a little bit neither here nor there, but it's just an interesting uh, um, debate about that Haftorah. <coughs> Um, but the end of the Haftor says that they went home on the eighth day. It's sort of an interesting thing, and I pointed this out, um, that uh, there are all these different conceptions in, uh, in, the, in the Bible about what this uh, Shmini Atzeret is. Um, in, in some cases, it looks like it was the day um, at the end of a festival when people would stay in Jerusalem just a little bit longer. In other instances, it looked like the day where um, people would have left Jerusalem earlier in the festival, but then regathered on the like day following the festival in their hometowns to have like a, another mini celebration. Uh, and then in the case of uh, First Kings, it looks like what it means is it was the day where you went home from the <laughs> festival. Right? You had like so much joy overwhelming your heart that you could just like walk home and be talking about the festival the whole way home. So it was like you were still celebrating anyway. You were carrying it back with you. And that was another model for what uh, for what Shmini Atzeret is, or what Atzeret uh, is, and so that model of what Atzeret is got me thinking. Um, and I mentioned this. Uh, uh, what day was that? Monday. 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 <laughs> I mentioned this on Monday uh, that uh, um, that you know um, uh, it, the the model there is um, you know what do you take with you from that kind of celebration. Right, um, uh, you know, and, and I uh, phrased it in terms of, uh, you know, like uh, you know, you had like a joyous occasion. You're like, you like met a dignitary. I talked about meeting Morgan Freeman. Right? So, like, what did you, uh, what, you know, what, have there ever been those moments where, where you sort of like uh, uh, walked away, and for a certain period of time afterward, you you really it was like being present, still like being present at that moment. Um, and, and, and what did you take with you? And so the model, I think, of Shemini Atzeret there, coming at the very end, the last of the uh, high holiday season, is, um, is, I think, inviting us to ask, you know, what, what is it that you took away with you from, or what are you taking away with you from these high holidays? Right? And so having gone through um, at, at least two weeks uh, more three weeks rather of uh, of this high holiday season, starting Rosh Hashanah and ending yesterday, 
Um, but maybe even more than that, if you count uh, the month of Elul leading up to it, and certainly the week of Slichot that we had leading up to uh, Rosh Hashanah. So we had, you know, almost two months of uh, this high holiday season when it's all said and done. Um, and, uh, and if you follow the, the traditions, you know, reasoning, it's, it's really sort of like being in the intimate presence of God um, during that whole period of time. So it's at least, at the very least, being in a lot of prayer services during that uh, extended period of time, whether or not you see that as being in the presence of God. So, um, so the, the question that I was thinking of and that I'd like to discuss uh, today and hear, hear what you have to say about it is, is you know, given that you've gone through this uh, extended period of the, of the high holidays, um, what, what will you be taking with you? Right? When you when now you pack up and you go home, right? what's the souvenir? What's the insight? What's the memory um, that, uh, that, that you're taking with you? Okay, so I'm going to uh, share a couple that I'm taking with me, a couple insights that I discovered over these high holidays that I'm going to take with me, uh, and, uh, and, and then I want to open up the floor to hear from you. What, I don't, uh, what, what I'm not looking for is a, uh, a, a debrief of the high holiday experience. I, there's a religious committee meeting for that. We're going to uh, debrief it. But I want to hear something I want to hear personally. Personally for you, um, what, what, are you, what are you carrying with you? What's the insight? What's the lesson? What's the change um, that, uh, that you're taking with you? So I have a, a couple of things. And for me, because this has been a forum over the past uh, couple of months where we've been talking about prayer and prayer issues, I'm going to talk about a couple of prayer things um, that, that I'm taking with me. So uh, the first is, um, you ever have those experiences where you're like, like really looking for something and you only find it after you stop looking for it. Uh, so I, I, I found that a lot over these high holidays when it came to prayer, like the times where I was like trying to concentrate the most and trying to get the most out of my prayer were often the times where I got the least out of it. And moments of inspiration, you know, um, uh, uh, um, uh, instances of connection and transcendence, those came often when I was not expecting them, when I was not looking for them. Um, you know, so in the middle of Yom Kippur Mincha, when I was you know, just sort of like, like, like tired and out of it and like really just kind of like looking to push through, right? Um, uh, I, there, were, there were moments there where, where I actually felt really elated and, and, uh, and transcendent, where I really felt like I um, was connecting to what I was saying and, um, and, and where I was really moved. Um, and so that's what I'm, that's one thing I'm walking away with that I think I can carry with me into my, the, my prayer life the rest of the year, um, which is maybe, maybe don't try so hard, right? That, uh, that, that sometimes, uh, the, the moments of connection and insight come when you're not looking at all. Um, and sometimes the best ones come when you're not looking at all, just like my car keys, um, that uh, when I stop looking for my car keys, that's when I find them. Um, so that's one thing. And the other is, um, is that uh, uh, posture matters. Um, what I noticed was that, um, um, uh, whether, first of all, whether I was standing or sitting made a tremendous difference in what my prayer felt like and, what, uh, and, and how uh, much it meant to me and how moved I was by it. Um, usually it meant that, that if I was standing, um, it, I was more attentive, um, I uh, felt uh, um, I felt more reverent. Um, I felt uh, uh, more invested and involved. There's something about the physical act of standing that that uh, um, that, that made me feel that way. And when I was when I was sitting, um, 
I, I felt much more removed and aloof. Um, so, uh, and, and we have that a lot during the holidays where, where we're invited to have posture that matters, right? So the big example is, uh, Korim during Alenu, where you're supposed to fully bow and prostrate. And I think that the tradition's trying to tell us there that, uh, that, that what we do with our bodies matters in prayer, that prayer is a physical experience. Um, you know, so, uh, which is, which is, I think why, um, you know, Judaism happens to be, I think, um, one of, uh, uh, well, maybe Protestant Christianity, to a certain extent. We're we're some of the I think the 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 least um, uh, we're one of the least at least now we may not have been at other times in our history one of the least physical prayer traditions. Um, you know, Muslims are very physical in their prayer traditions. Um, uh, Catholics are very physical in their prayer traditions. Um, you know, uh, kneeling and uh, and and bowing and standing and and then the, the sensory things, right? Smelling and tasting. Right? You only have listening and speaking. Um, so uh, um, so anyway, so I found that uh, that that posture mattered. But the flip side was also true. So I, I mean, I'm sure some of you could probably attest to this as well that uh, in Nila, where I'm doing nothing but standing. At a certain point, from you know, from a certain point to a certain point, the standing was really helpful. And then after a while, it was like, okay, when do I sit down? All I could think about was, oh my gosh, when do I get to sit? When do I get to sit? So there's a breaking point for that as well. Um, but uh, but that's an insight that I'm going to take with me in, in prayer. That posture matters. And I and I and I think about that. Uh, um, uh, I thought about that before. Um, uh, the high holidays, and there are different uh, um, customs in the tradition about the, about posture in prayer. Um, and so, uh, one of the things that uh, my my teacher from the conservative yeshiva, Reb Shmuel Lewis, um, uh, taught was that when you're sitting, um, and I, I, I'm probably maybe the most guilty person at Harzayin of this because I love sitting with my legs crossed. Um, but there's something very um, um, informal and casual and aloof and sort of standoffish about the posture of sitting with your legs crossed, even though it's very comfy. Um, and so uh, what he suggests is that when you, when you pray, you should pray your feet both firmly planted on the ground, which, by the way, um, almost automatically adjusts your posture, right, so that you're sitting more upright. Um, and the other thing is that Maimonides, um, when, uh, when he describes the posture that you're supposed to have during prayer, when you stand in prayer, Maimonides says, you're supposed to pray with your hands over your heart, like this. And there are other traditions that, beside Maimonides, some people pray like this. Um, you know, some people pray with their, with their hands at attention. Um, but I like praying with, with my hands over my heart, like Maimonides suggests. There's something um, powerful to me in moving about that posture. So that's something I'm going to take out of uh, this experience is to try to be more, um, more conscious about how I'm standing and how I'm sitting and when I'm standing and when I'm sitting um, when I pray because I think it makes a big difference. Um, okay, now if you want to be able to get to work today, you're going to have to share some of yours. Yeah. Except for Steve. Yeah, <laughs> Train waits for no man. Ralph, you're going to run me over. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have no idea. Hold on, hold on one second. No, Abe, hold on one second. Any, any melody for Neil starts out. Melody, I think that's inspiring. The, like, Elnora Ali La. That melody? No, no, he starts the repetition. Uh, mm. the, that modality of prayer really gets. I think it's that's the conclusion, so it's, it just reawakens you, I guess. And what do you take with you from that to the, your davening the rest of the year? 
don't. Well, <laughs> no, I, 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 I just feel that, you know, day, day to day. The dominance from day to day. It's not because of the... I, I leave with the God's unanswered question, was I indeed sealed in the book of life? Mm. To me, I don't know that. But, I, but that that is the point. The entire period, you you seek redemption so that you can be sealed, and you don't know that. So that when you do walk out after Neela, the chauffeur's been sounded. Your prayers are that you were, and and I think that to me is the important thing that I take away from it every year. So, if I'm hearing you right, it's that you don't know, but when you hear that final shofar, you have you leave with the hope that you were. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. And I take my the greetings of my friend that I have been sealed in the book of life, mm-hmm. but I don't know that. So it's interesting. I mean, so what, what it sounds like you're taking with you is a combination of uh, of uncertainty, but ultimately hope, right? That's right. right. Yeah. Um, and do you feel that? Are you able to, to 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 connect to that feeling after the high holidays, right? After during the rest of the year? Well, the the closing of the book mm-hmm. is what I prayed for. That I've been sealed in it. But the fact of the matter is that, as you point out, I don't know that. Uh, I I live my life hoping that that's been the case, and I say to my friend, I'll make you a deal. <laughs> Next year, at the very same time, I'll wish you those very same words. Mm. Um, so I, 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 I walk away with the uncertainty but the prayer. I mean, that's an amazing uh, uh, idea. I want you know, just, to uh, just reflect on that for a second, right, uh, to, to take it out of the context of the high holidays and, and back into the, you know, what, what, um, how to bring it with us to the rest of the year, because I think that, you know, at, it, at, its, at its core, I mean, you know, um, I think the Jewish approach to life is the, the knowledge that life is uncertain and the, and the, uh, and the hope that, uh, that, um, that, that will, uh, uh, that that will make it right. So um, and that things can be better and will be better, uh, and we live with those with those tensions. Right. Um, and that prayer, I think, is about that too, right? Uh, we pray because of our fragility, um, but the but our prayers are ultimately, I think, hopeful, right? That's what you know. The, the Amida is uh, primarily about the things that we need, right? About the things that we are uncertain about, whether we're going to have a good year, whether we're going to have forgiveness, whether we're going to have wisdom. Um, but we end the Amida on a on a uh, on a note of hope every time we say it that that there's going to be peace. That's right. Yeah. And I think that I think also that we constantly seek redemption. Not only the fact that we do it on Yom Kippur, but all through the year, we're we're asking for redemption. Uh, what do you mean by redemption? What? What do you mean by redemption? Be more explicit. What, what, what does redemption mean to you? Because that's the key. Redemption means that while I may have sinned, 
God has forgiven me for my sins, uh, and, and that that is what I believe redemption is. Okay. The the thing that I, that struck me was on Rosh Hashanah when the shofar was being blown. I I was watching the guy up there on, on the bima, and I had this vision of someone standing in the temple two thousand years ago in Jerusalem blowing a ram's horn, doing the exact same thing. Um, and, and I just had this realization that, you know, how many things are there in all of humanity where there's a tradition that people were doing the same thing over two millennia? Um, and it's, it's nothing new. It's, it's sort of obvious, but it, it, just, it just sort of hit me, that, that kind of continuity um, and, and just, you know, the, the kind of primalness of it. It's, you know, it's obviously really anachronistic that we, you know, blow this animal horn. Uh, in in the modern world, but but you know that that connection not as anachronistic as walking around with a lulav and a net. Well, this is true. This is true. <laughs> Someone emailed me the other night and uh, and said that uh, that she has a daughter who's a pagan. And uh, and I'm not sure exactly what kind of pagan, but that's <laughs> and, and she said that, uh, um, that, that the daughter said that there was a that uh, one of the practices of the pagan religion that she participates in is uh, is essentially lulav and etrog, right? Uh, there's something very you know very ancient about it, but the, but it's it's you're, you I think you 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 mentioned something really amazing, and it, it's there, there's all I mean the, the shofar is one, right? But you know on on Yom Kippur you have the avoda service, right? Which is supposed to uh, at least. Um, um, image-wise, transport you to the to the temple, but the shofar is something really visceral, right? Uh, and uh, that, that that you can uh, that you can hear and and see, and uh, and um, you know that's a um, you know I think a profound uh, element of uh, of of our tradition. Um, you know, is that you know, listen, every tradition needs on some level to uh, to be um, to to adapt to the current time and place in, in which it finds itself, right? Otherwise, it's just a fossil. On the other hand, you don't want a tradition that changes too much because you never know what it actually expects of you, um, or you don't feel rooted or connected to anything. Um, and so, uh, you know, one of the things I love about the high holidays is that, uh, is that you will change things from year to year, but, uh, but, but ultimately, right, what we're being drawn back to is uh, the same sounds, the same smells, the same words um, that our ancestors had two, 3,000 uh, years ago. Um, and and what I take from that, in, in addition, right, is uh, um, aside from the high holidays, I think one of the beauties of, of Judaism generally, and also and also Jewish prayer, um, is that it's uh, um, it's not it, it's not totally it, it's not dependent on 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 the sort of uh, um, whims and and, uh, and and desires of of my day to day. Right, I, I pray with my ancestors' words. Um, and I stand where my ancestors stood. And uh, I had a friend who uh, just wrote this great article about uh, about synagogues. And it's you know all in the Jewish press, and uh, um, especially like if you read the journals, uh, like the sort of trade rabbinic trade journals that I read, there's lots of negativity about the synagogue. Um, and uh, you know the, that that the, that the synagogue's time in the American Jewish landscape is over, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, uh, and, I mean, they may be right, they may be wrong, but my friend, uh, Justin, who's a rabbi now in Bangor, Maine, he's the chief rabbi of Bangor, Maine, and, uh, uh, and he wrote this great article, 
because uh, when he first went to rabbinical school, he was one of those Jews who like bought you know hook, line, and sinker that the that the that the time of the synagogue is over. The future of the Jewish world is not in the synagogue, and uh, and he found himself uh, his last year of rabbinical school applying to jobs as a rabbi of a synagogue, and he took a pulpit in Bangor, Maine. And he loves the pulpit there, and he loves the people there. Um, And one of the things that he discovered was um, they were having a conversation about removing some chairs for the high holidays. And uh, a woman, you know, looked at him like he had uh, um, offered to put a crucifix up on the wall. Right? And uh, and he said, well, what's the problem? And he said, she said, "That that was my grandfather's seat. And this woman was like 95 years old, and her grandfather must have been, you know, dead for the better part of a century, um, uh, and not having having sat in, in that seat. And um, but there's a, but there is, I think, um, uh, something really powerful about that, and why I think that, and why he thinks that uh, that that synagogues yet have a future in in this country because there's something powerful about the idea that even if there's no body sitting there, right, that uh, that you're praying in the place where your grandparents prayed. And you're sitting next to whether you know emotionally at least you're sitting next to your great grandparents when you when you pray. You're sitting in the temple when you pray, even if you're not in Jerusalem. Right? You're facing Jerusalem. You're hearing the shofar. The sounds are there. Right? The spirits are there. Right? So you're you're in Jerusalem when you pray, even when you're not in Jerusalem. Um, so I think that there's something really powerful about that in, in the tradition. When I when I pray, I pray with Maimonides, and when I perform a mitzvah, I perform a mitzvah alongside Rabbi Akiva. There's something really powerful. About I, I want to pick up on something you mentioned. I find the Nusach overall, because you only hear it three days a year, forgetting Slicha. Push on a rabble. Excuse me. <laughs> I try and forget that. <laughs> no, but I find it to be incredibly powerful, and in some ways, it's a take-in. The first time I hear that Borahu on Rosh Hashanah every year, you know, it, it's an incredible... In a similar way, and I realize that I'm sure that doesn't go back 2,000 years. It's probably only from the 19th century. But it's still an incredible link that, wow, this really is different. This is a unique time. The, the entire experience we're undergoing is different. Mm-hmm. And, and I sense that the whole way through Nihila. I want to add one other factor in Nihila, though. I've watched Ralph, Davin Mariv, since I joined here in the late 70s, always to conclude... Yom Kippur, and the last two years to help him get up and down, knowing someone along the lines he mentioned, it's an incredible conclusion for me to the to Yom Kippur mm-hmm. to know he's here still mm-hmm. davening with and leading us. Mm-hmm. So there are a couple of things I want to pick up on that, and then I'll, I'll close with this. But I'm happy to continue the conversation uh, afterward. Um, so. The first is uh, the, 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 the importance the importance that music plays in, in prayer, right? Uh, that it can totally transform the atmosphere and the environment in the direction of prayer. Right? There's um, that the opening those opening notes of Baruchu on Rosh Hashanah, right? You transport you to a different time and place, um, and really set the mood in uh, in, a, in a very significant I, way. I'll add one other thing. Yeah. It makes me really think about wow, who's here again this year mm-hmm. and who's not? Sure. Uh, so uh, and 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 that doesn't only apply to the high holidays. I think that applies all over, right? And to be, it's uh, it's worth being very conscious about uh, the kind of music that we choose or don't choose to use in prayer. What are you trying to achieve with that musical sound? Um, and the, uh, uh, the the second is um, uh, you you talked about Ralph specifically. I, what I was thinking about while you're saying that is um, some of the. 
um, power of communal prayer. There's something, um, you know, I, often we think of prayer as a very personal thing, um, but Judaism urges us to pray in community. And I think one of the reasons is that, uh, that there's something um, uh, um, moving about being able to see other people pray, to be able to look over and see how other people are, are talking to God. Um, and, uh, and part of that is, uh, is, is knowing who you're praying with, right? Uh, that, uh, that, that, you know, that you've been praying with this person for a long time, right? That, uh, that they're there again this year, um, that, uh, um, uh, so there's something both comforting and inspiring ab- ab- about it, right? And that's true throughout the year, but it also means, um, uh, that, uh, um, and I, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot, which is the, um, the, um, uh, the, the experience of someone who is not a regular or even a guest um, at, uh, in, in any community, but, but I guess in particular ours, right? um, how can we ensure that they are able to have a similar experience? Right? Where, where not only can they look over and see the person praying next to them, which might be helpful, but that they know the person sitting next to them. Um, that, uh, that they're not in a room full of strangers, that they're in a room full of uh, friends they haven't really gotten to know yet. Right, um, and uh, and that's something that uh, that I've been thinking about a lot over the past weeks, um, because I think it's something um, that uh, um, you know those of us who are regularly accustomed to being here and know ninety percent of the people who are sitting around us, we don't think about that too much, um, and it is very helpful for our prayer usually, except for when they bother us or whatever. But uh, um, but for a lot of people, especially in the high holidays, where um, uh, where for many people it's the only time coming of the year, but on Shabbat morning where uh, a good half of the congregation um, is uh, are, are people for whom it may be their first time here. Um, uh, you know, it, it, what's that experience like for them, and are there ways to help give them that same kind of uh, powerful experience? Uh, so we'll conclude there for today. Uh, thanks for sharing with me, and thanks for sharing with each other. Thank you. And I will uh, see you next week. Have a great day.